Hello and a warm welcome to the Scots and Us podcast from the American Scottish Foundation. My name is Jamie McGeechan and I'm so glad you can join us for this episode as we explore Shetland Island wool and textiles and we throw a spotlight on Shetland Wool Week. We're in conversation with Oliver Henry from Jemison and Smith, leading wool brokers in Shetland, and we learn all about the process of working in the renowned Shetland wool industry, the skills and knowledge of which have been passed down over the generations. But first up, join us in conversation with Jeanette Budge, and ASF President Camilla Hillman. Jeanette is a Shetland knitwear designer and tutor with a great deal of passion for Shetland wool and textiles. Jeanette is involved in Shetland Wool Week, Shetland Peary Mackers and the Shetland Guild of Spinners, Knitters, Weavers and Dryers. We'll go now to that conversation. Jeanette, I'm so glad you're joining us today from the Shetlands and we're going to be able to continue our journey of understanding all about Shetland wool and the industry there and also of your role within Shetland Wool Week, which has taken on such a huge um, popularity and brought such a focus onto Shetland Wool and the industry. So could I begin by asking you, how did you first become involved and in, in the knitwear industry and in designing and everything? What was your journey? How did you connect to this? Well, I guess it starts a way back in a way before I was born in that um, my, my mother, my grandmother were all knitters and they were nothing to sell. So they were nothing, you know, a lot of items to sell on a regular basis. So when I was growing up, then I was surrounded by knitters, um, feral knitters in particular. And we also got um, feral knitting classes at school um, starting at the age of eight. But I did learn to knit um, at home from my mother, probably at the age of six, we think. Um, but that was just plain knitting, that wasn't fair isle. Um, and we had, I had a fantastic teacher called Zena Thompson, um, sadly no longer with us, but um, she uh, was a great knitter that she um, entered things to the Royal Highland Show in, in Edinburgh on a regular yeah. basis and win many prizes, both for lace and feral knitting. So I had a fantastic teacher. And um, from there, you know, we, we got nothing throughout um, primary school. So that was until the age of 12. After that, I had my teenage years and, and lost the, the will to knit, really, as, as often teenagers do. Um, but it came back to me later. And, and I suppose my main... Uh, now where I'm at is was probably early 2000. Um, then I began knitting quite a lot again. And really Wool Week is what's helped to inspire me to become a knitting designer and a tutor um, because I could see that there was an interest in Shetland knitting. And we, we sitting here in Shetland, we didn't realise the, the whole... Um, passion for Shetland knitting and hand knitting around the world. Um, it's, it's just been quite amazing. So Jeanette, um, what is the difference between feral knitting and ordinary knitting? Are you, needing, are you using more needles? What is the difference between feral knitting and regular knitting? 
Well, I guess the, the main difference with feral knitting is that we're knitting with two collars in one row. And um, occasionally there are three collars in a row, but that would only be for uh, for an odd row here and there, there in the back. You're still knitting with just two needles? Um, no, no, but you can do feral with um, two needles. But in Shetland, we would tend to use three or four needles knitting in the round with a knitting belt. And um, a knitting belt came about, um, you know, probably more than 100 years ago. And they started um, being made from uh, from straw sheaths. It was, it was a sheath shape, you know, a cone shape that they made. And this was to stick the needle in to, to secure and anchor the needle. Um, that you were knitting on to. Um, and I guess these didn't last very long because they were made of straw. So someone, who knows who, developed um, leather ones. Um, so we, we have leather knitting belts stuffed with horse hair that we use, and that's traditional and, and still used today. And um, it's very good. I, I guess it came out of um, necessity as well because... Um, People needed to knit as much as they could because, um, really, because of poverty. Um, Shetland wasn't a, a you know a, a rich place by any means, and um, one thing that they could make from the resource that they had was wool. Um, you know, they could use the woolen resource to um, help to keep the family going, help to put food on the table. This is sort of talking. Um, late 1800s, early 1900s. Um, and so you would be uh, maybe doing your chores in the house and you would be stirring a pot of soup um, and then you would be able to go back to your knitting again. Um, but you weren't having to put your knitting down. Uh, you know, it was still with you all the time. The other thing they did was... Um, fetching peats from the hill or moving cattle out um, from back and forth from the house. The, the cat, each croft had usually one cow, at least, and um, it was a very precious commodity. So it was always kept in the byre, joined onto the house at night and um, put out to the hill ground each day. So my father can remember my mother doing that um, and it was about maybe two thirds to three quarters of a mile each way so she would have been knitting as she went and by having the needle anchored in the knitting belt meant that um, she could knit much more easily and uh, much more quickly. And we're going to take a very short intermission now for some music. Filska are a band from the Shetland Islands and have built their music on the island's tradition of fiddle playing. The word Filska comes from the local dialect and means high-spirited. This is Filska with Coolies from their 2003 album A Thousand Miles Away.
And now we return in conversation with ASF President Camilla Hellman and Jeanette Budge. So Jeanette, I grew up down south, but I loved my fair owl sweaters, and my, especially my cardigan and my gloves, and the patterns are so distinctive and so different. And there's been this a huge resurgence of interest and awareness of the beautiful Shetland and fair owl knitwear. Can you speak to how you're managing to keep up with this huge international demand at this time? Are you keeping to the old um, hand work and not, you know, farming it out onto some knitting machines or something? Well, I guess there's a mix here. Um, throughout Shetland, then there's um, different makers. Some are doing hand frame knitting machine. So by that, I mean they are doing making all the adjustments on the machine and moving the the carriage back and forth um, to, to, to make the, the garment um, so that is a little quicker and that's actually how my my mother did, would would do the bodies of the the fair yokes uh, you know um, the ones that I make so that that was um, traditional certainly from the 1950s then they, they did that. Um, there are still some people who hand knit, especially accessories, like the gloves, for instance. I, I don't know how you would manage to do them by machine. <laughs> um, and, uh, but there are... So there is still a huge amount of handwork, but the, knit, the knitting machines, which are handworked, have also become part of the basic way of producing garments. Yes, there is that. But there, there are some companies that have um, the machine made with big Shima machines, um, but, but they are all hand finished, um, as far as I'm aware. And um, so it still has, you know, quite a, a strong design input, certainly, um, from the, the traditional Shetland designs. With some technical in, um, innovations of the last few years to help. Yes, yes, certainly. Mm -hmm. And and how um, you are a designer uh, of knitwear? How are you? Uh, in, is there a different interpretation to the fair arts um, that you're using? And um, what inspires you? Well, I think that um, I have a mixture of both. I have I have some that are um, certainly my own. Uh, we would call them motifs. Um, the, the feral design um, and some that are more traditional and it's more that the colours are more contemporary um, and, and changing them up a little. Um, uh, the, the main thing that I really work on in, in uh, normal times, shall we say, is, is teaching. That's my main love. Um, but I've certainly moved to pattern writing more this year. Um, because of the world situation and not having visitors being able to to come and do classes, so um, are the are the um, dyes? Could you speak to the yarn? Is that all natural dyes as well? It depends on the company. Some some do have natural dyes, and and others um, are, are synthetic dyes. Um, so it depends on the brand. Um, Oradale Organic. Uh, there, it's an all natural, so the the sheep are organic sheep, and the the yarns are all natural dyes. But some of the other companies I know, 
um, do have synthetic dyes. Mm -hmm. That's a mixture. I love the softness of the natural. I think that mm. makes a difference. I find the synthetic can often be harsher. Yes, and I've I've been lucky enough to um, knit um, some things with Elizabeth Johnson's handspun yarn. She's Shetland handspun in Shetland, and she was one of our Woolwick patrons a couple of years back. And the handspun natural shades are just absolutely delicious. It's just the feel <laughs> and the smell and everything. It's just a joy to knit with. Yeah. Well, you're bringing a part of the islands to us when we actually have one of your wonderful garments from the Shetlands. So how did Shetland Wool Week come about and how did you become involved and what does it mean to the industry at this point? Well, it came about through um, Jimison and Smith um, working along with our Shetland Immunity Trust, I believe, and it really started about the wool and the sheep, that's where the core was. And they did farm visits and it was not so much about the knitting, but as it's developed over the last 10 years, 11 years, then it's become all encompassing, everything to do with wool. And um, there's lots and lots of classes on all sorts of things that you can, so from steaking, which is cutting, um, you know, up the middle of a cardigan, you can get classes on that. You can get knitting belt classes, feral classes, lace classes, and there's all the different levels from beginner to advanced. Um, spinning classes, felting, you name it, there's there's everything. And it's just, for, for me, it's, it's actually, I just so look forward to it because it's even more delightful than Christmas, but don't tell my family. <laughs> and it's um, just such a joyful time because you're meeting all these people who are equally passionate about wool and knitting and the, the just the delight that we can share in that is just amazing. So in this new time that we've found ourselves in this year, um, and Shetland Wool Week becoming virtual, and uh, the greater interest as people stayed home and looked for uh, interesting things to be involved in, have you found an even greater interest in Shetland Wool and Wool Week? Yes, it's it's been amazing. Um, I mean, we heard from the organisers, you know, back earlier in the year that that Shetland Wool Week wouldn't be happening, and. And that was a disappointment, but also it helped us to feel safe. Um, and so it was a huge amazement um, to have the virtual Wool Week and, um, you know, to be asked to contribute to that in some way was, was just a joy, really. Um, because even though, for instance, when me and Hazel was doing, Hazel Tyndall, um, doing the, the uh, video piece that we did, then... We were just talking to each other, but then we got so many messages um, from people. It was it was just lovely. It felt like you still had that connection with the knitters from around the world. And and that was really joyful. Thank you so much, Jeanette Budge and ESF President Camilla Hillman for joining us on the Scots and Us podcast. 
It was brilliant to learn all about Jeanette's passions for Shetland Island wool and textiles and to hear all about the brilliant initiatives that Jeanette is involved in, including Shetland Wool Week, the Shetland Peary Mackers and the Shetland Guild of Knitters, Weavers and Dyers. Jeanette has a brilliant website which I fully recommend you visit. Find it at JeanetteBudge.com It's full of great information on workshops and talks, knitting patterns and there's a blog where Jeanette shares her insights on some of the projects that she's been involved in. It's a wonderful insight into the ways of Shetland life and Jeanette's own experiences in Shetland Island wool and textiles. Thank you so much to Jeanette Budge and ASF President Camilla Hellman for that wonderful conversation. And now for some more music. Malachi Talik is a musician, poet and writer, originally from Shetland. Now resident in Dunblane, he's a wonderful artist with a great selection of uplifting and insightful music that I just love. Shetland is an area which has produced so many talented artists and I think you're going to enjoy this. This is Malachi Talik with Blue Skies. It's half past seven and I'm half alive and the sun's pushing through the hospital blinds. I find the time seems to come in disguise. There's more to see and clearly than a decent pair of eyes. I'm living under blue skies. I'm living under blue skies. I'm living under blue skies I'm living under blue skies Nine o'clock sharp Breakfast comes on a tray The newspaper filled with the world of the day Still can't distinguish Facts from the rest One little I can swallow I can't seem to digest And here the world is so healthy and clean It's hard to recall all the dirt that I've seen I'm living under blue skies 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 Twenty-one hours, they come to turn off the light So know which is day which bit's the night? The guy on my right doesn't sleep anymore After sixty-odd years, he's still living in the war My comfort, my safety, they tie down my arms Stop me from doing myself any harm I've London in here, there's nowhere to hide Someday I'll find how to get myself outside I'm living under blue skies 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 The sky may be blue But the wind's blowing free 
blowing through the words, through the whispers and the cries. It's blowing through the hands that are covering my eyes. I'm living under blue skies. 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 That was the brilliant Malky Talek there with Blue Skies. Such an uplifting song and uh, certainly something I think we can all appreciate at the moment. And now we're in conversation with Oliver Henry from Jemison and Smith, leading wool brokers in Shetland. We learn all about the process of working in the renowned Shetland wool industry, the skills and knowledge of which have been passed down over the generations. Good afternoon, Oliver. How are you doing today? Good afternoon. Nice to see you. Hi, Jimmy. Good to, good to see you. Yeah, I'm fine here. The weather is, is reasonably warm, uh, 11 degrees. Uh, Shetland <laughs> is basking in a late summer. Oliver, you, you work in Jameson and Smith, Shetland Wool Brokers in Lerick and yeah. Shetland Isles, and you've been involved in Shetland Wool for over 50 years. How did that come to be? How did you come to be involved in working in Shetland Wool? Yeah, um, how it came about, it's a long story, but I'll keep it short. I come from a small island off the west coast uh, of Shetland called Burra, about a mile away from the village of Scalloway. That used to be the old capital of Shetland. and my family, my dad, his father, my grandfather, great-grandfather, they were croft or fishermen, or as the fishermen preferred, fishermen crofters. And Shetland was built up on croft or fishermen, similar to the Western Isles and Orkney. And so um, my problem was uh, when I, I went off in the fishing boat, then I was always seasick. <laughs> um, at the age of 13, uh, I left the island to go to further education in Lerwick. Um, and uh, you had to travel an hour in a small boat and then by bus. And I had, I had a rough time out with the sea crossing on a Sunday night with the minister's boat. Um, so... So basically, it was a chap for Ayrshire, education officer. Uh, I don't know if you get that when you were young, but they come and point you down the route you're to go with your education. And I'll never forget this. He said, um, what are you going to do with your your life? And I, uh, and I said, well, I haven't made up my mind. Uh, he says, well... Uh, you're going to be stereotyped. Uh, what's your dad do, your uh, grandfather? And I said, they're all fishermen, crofters. And he said, well, have you thought about uh, that line? And I said, no, because I'm sick on any size of a boat. <laughs> and then he said, well, why don't you go down the crofting route? Um, in the mid-60s, um, there was no jobs in Shetland except the fishing industry, which was quite huge. Fishing boats, fish processing, and uh, a very little croft and full-time crofters or farmers. And uh, 
He said, I'm going to put your name down for agricultural college. They were one to open up in Orkney. Uh, sadly, that never happened. And I ended up uh, going to Aberdeenshire to a dairy farm to do a first year practical. And you did night uh, classes uh, at night. Uh, and so I went to a place called McRoberts Farms, Doonside, Darland. And uh, one of the most beautiful places uh, that you could go, it's at the foothills of the, of the Grampian Mountains. So that's how I ended up uh, packing wool, creating wool, and into the Shetland wool industry. Brilliant, absolutely brilliant. It's amazing how these things happen in life and you just don't know where the where the roads will take you. But um in, in Shetland it's it's renowned in the global textile world for its exceptionally fine wool fibre shorn from the distinctive Shetland sheep. But what is it that makes the wool of the Shetland sheep so special and, and sought after all of our Yeah, the, the Shetland the real you said it there, the real Shetland. Uh, sheep, uh, Jemison Smith, we handle over 80% of the wool club and we're doing the job for 53 years. Um, what makes Shetland wool so special is its characteristics, its fineness, that's really fine fibre, but the most important thing is the handle and the handle, the elasticity, the softness of the fleece, and that sets it apart from uh, imitation Shetland, which I'll not go into, but there's countless millions of Shetland garments floating around the world. But uh, Shetland wool, if you buy the right uh, knitting yarn, that's the wool, and you knit it into garments, you should find the softness, the handle, would be the same as comes off the sheep's back. Um, wow. Yeah, and part of the heather-clad hills and the peak moor, um, the type of pasture the sheep is, is on, also helps that handle. Um, it can be imitated in some parts of the highlands. Uh, Shetland sheep quite happily live there, uh, down through Scotland uh, in parts of England. Uh, there's there's quite a few Shetland sheep, but there's none like the ones we home. There's none like the ones we home indeed. We take a short break now for some music. Homebrew are a real Shetland music institution. Homebrew formed in Shetland in 1978. They've played all over Europe and they are so popular in Shetland and all around Europe. They are fantastic. This is Homebrew with Scar Satatis.
The wonderful sounds of the Shetlands. That was homebrew there with Scarce of Tatties. And now we return to the conversation with Oliver Henry. And, and Oliver, you were involved in developing Shetland Wool Week, which brings together wool producers all over the islands. How important is it to have a sense of community uh, in which the event has done so much to enhance and support? Yeah, that, that's something that um, in 2010, I am. Um, my employer, who was a chap called Martin Curtis in Bradford, uh, he was in charge of uh, the parent company, sent me an email and said, uh, left a meeting for the campaign for Woolworth HRH, the Prince of Wales, Prince of Wales initiative is to start up the campaign for wool and wool weeks would be in parts of Australia, Scotland, England, all wool producing nations. I need you to start one in Shetland. You have a month to get on with it. And you said something when we were talking there, island communities are notoriously difficult to get on with together. Uh, you know, they're quite independent. And so in Shetland, that was a problem how how do we get all the people sitting at the table? I judged the live animal for a group called the Shetland Flock Book Society. So I judged their wool on the hoof, the live animal. And I'm lucky that I can get to judge those rams in their annual show. So I phoned up um, that night, I phoned up the chief, uh, well, he was the secretary, a retired teacher, and put the idea to him. And I said, you put that to committee? And he says, no, uh, you want to create a Shetland Wool Week around the Shetland Flock Book annual show and the Shetland Sheep, what truer place can you do this? He said, get on with it. I had his blessing. We were also working with a local museum to, re to reproduce a Worcester, a Worcester single fly Shetland. And uh, this was a lace, and this was to help revive the Shetland lace industry. And that chap, sadly no longer with us, I went to see him the next day. I said, and he, he actually was in charge of uh, Promote Shetland at that time, the tourism group. He also was in charge of the museums and all the centres throughout Shetland. It was his job to promote the culture and heritage of the islands. I saw him the next morning and he just about took my arms off wanting to get involved. And so I planted that two ideas and that two what I look on as progressive individuals. And the amenity trust, the Shetland Amenity Trust that was the was this chap. Uh, that ran the museums, they took it forward. They run it to this day. And what they've done is they've made a grand job using social media and they have uh, sold uh, this to the world. And what it's done, it's raised the profile of Shetland Wool and that's what HRH wanted. And it's been a colossal help uh, not just the Shetland wool producers, but to, to the Shetland community, uh, taxis, uh, 
it comes uh, hotels, all providers, um, a license holders, whatever. But it, it comes at a time of year where the tourism is dropping off, so to speak. It's at the end of September, 1st October. And so it's brought in a colossal amount to Shetland. And um, to be chosen as patron for the 10th um, uh, event was a great honor. And uh, I enjoyed that. We launched it at Edinburgh Yarn Festival. There was thousands of people there. And uh, as a community, we have put this, we've put this uh, on the world textile stage. It wasn't really my idea, it was HRH and the international textile people around the world. Uh, we've raised the profile of Shetland Wool and uh, we thank him for that and the community of Shetland. Uh, the crofter now, when he comes into the wool store, um, he doesn't go on about what are you doing, how are you going to improve the price of wool, and what are you doing? He knows what we're doing. Absolutely. Well, you're a brilliant ambassador for, for the industry yourself, a brilliant ambassador. And you're involved in the export of this wonderful Shetland wool all over the world. What trends, Oliver, what trends have you seen in recent years? And what are your hopes for the future of Shetland wool? Yeah. We, we got involved in uh, your offer in New Orleans. Uh, we got involved in, uh, in the early, early days uh, when I was starting to get more involved in running the company in 96 with an American lady um, from Bethesda in Maryland. That lady came over and said to me, she was interested in the natural colored wool, what's happening to it. I said, nothing we can't, uh, we don't have a market. Uh, the wool mills prefer to dye it, dye white and turn it into a natural color. That way they get a solid uh, shade that they can put to a designer, knitter, whatever. She said, I'm going to do something about this. And what she did, she went away, she created what our forebears in Shetland had done. She resurrected a native Shetland colored sheet, the wool of that, no dye. So she created a brand, if you like, with herself. As I, as I say, we handle most of the wool. And the colored wool has been shrinking over the years. So Betty Lindsay of Yarns International, she helped me she helped the crofters. She introduced the yarn that nobody else had at that time. And when we launched this with her, uh, and the name for the yarn was Shetland 2000, and this yarn, um, everybody wanted to climb on the bandwagon. So the name I gave to Betty, sadly she's no longer with us, is the Sheep Saver. Uh, and she opened up people's eyes to the use uh, of using a natural undyed yarn. So that was a very strong brand. What, what's happened from there is with a museum, we developed Worship, which is Worcester, 
because Shetland was traditionally woolen spun. Uh, with the museum, we created this uh, single ply. What we did, we, we took a, another strong brand, the Shetland Lace, the original, and what happened there was we relaunched that with the museum. So what, what we were doing, we were going back into the past and taking the strength of the Shetland uh, knitwear, if you like, the textile world, and um, we were rebranding it, uh, reviving it. And so that, that's sort of the, 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 main, the main ones. We've, we've developed other products. Uh, for instance, uh, Shetland uh, wool was used a lot to make um, uh, uh, it's called uh, throws, if you like, for the bed. Um, this was done back in the, I died out in the first of the 1900s, but it was tattered rugs. Well, in 92, 1992, I got involved in, uh, in a project to make uh, Shetland rugs for the floor. We resurrected that with a parent company in 2008, and we turned it into Shetland carpets. That, what happened there was that took a, a wool that nobody wanted, it wasn't suitable for knitwear, and this was turned into, into carpets, throws, mats, whatever. Um, so yeah, our latest project, and I still am involved in the company, although Sammy retired, I worked two days, what the young people that, that are running the company now, Derek, what they've done is they've uh, revived Shetland um, travel rugs. Uh, we don't have uh, spinning, uh, we don't have a, a weaving facility in the company. We get them made uh, in the sky weavers and the Western Isles. So what we've got here as an inter-island collaboration, if you like, which is a powerful story. We're giving work to the Sky Weavers and they're taking the Shetland product and they're creating these beautiful throws. I love that. So it's all about interconnectedness and community and, and working together for common aims with, with everyone having their own specialisations. Well, Oliver, it's been an absolute pleasure to speak with you this afternoon. Oliver Henry, thank you so much. Okay, thank you, Jamie. That really was fantastic to speak with Oliver Henry from Jemison and Smith in Shetland. And now I'm joined in conversation with ASF President Camilla Hillman. Good afternoon, Camilla. Good afternoon. It is the most wonderful day in New York today. It's like it, you would think we were in the middle of summer, Jamie. It's absolutely lovely, which is such a relief after the storms we were having the last few weeks. Um, I hope you're well in St. Louis. Thank you so much. I'm feeling <laughs> good. The, the clouds are breaking here as well, and it's, look, it's looking positive, looking positive. Good. And I have to say, what a great podcast we've had today talking to, learning more about Shetland and speaking to islanders and people who have grown up there and their whole culture um, is influenced and all that they do is influenced by the island. It's been fascinating to hear about the wool industry, about Shetland Wool Week, and also then to meet 
the young musicians you introduced us to. Absolutely. There's something very special about the culture in Shetlands that infuses itself, that makes its way into all of the art and all the, the, the culture. And it really is wonderful that we've had this opportunity to, to learn about it today. Well, the American Scottish Foundation began, uh, grew out of the Highland Fund, which Lord Malcolm Douglas Hamilton started. Um, and he had, so we have always had a close relationship and interest in the, the islands. And I'd really like to see us um, learning more of the different island uh, cultures in the coming months. And so I hope that we can now move across and see some of the other um, influences that go on. So I look forward to us doing that. I'm looking forward to it myself very much. And it's just brilliant to have this link with the communities in Scotland. It's brilliant. So we've got quite a busy few weeks coming up. Um, we've One of the main things we have is the first weekend of December, the 4th to the 6th, we have the Scottish North American Community Conference, which is now in its 17th year. And um, it brings together... Uh, the organizing committee of the Chicago Scots, Detroit St. Andrews, COSCA, which is the Clans organization in the United States, CASAC, the Clans organization in Canada, and Scottish Studies Guelph University. And I, it's been it's been a wonderful process putting the um, the program together which um, has some really interesting speakers throughout, which will be all virtual, and has some in, very interesting speakers and music, um, and dealing with the influences of, from Scotland upon us, and also how we are managing through this time and how we are maximizing the new virtual reality. So we're joined um, by uh, the Lord Lion on Sunday, uh, Viscount Dan Russell, who is um, who will be speaking about heritage and uh, genealogy. Um, Lord Thurso, who's the head of Visit Scotland, a very interesting um, segment from uh, Jetliner, which is Jennifer Coote's case, speaking about the safety of jetline travel and all that's being done to make us safe. Um, and then hearing about Inverness Castle and all that is being done to uh, bring that along, Abbotsford, uh, Lord Bruce is joining us to speak about the 700th anniversary of our brogue and the influence um, upon us um, from that. Uh, it's a, a wonderfully varied program. And then we also have the Highland Games, several people who um, head up various Highland Games speaking to us about the challenges they face, um, as well as uh, speaking about the influence upon music and the arts and education, etc. So um, could you let everybody know how they can uh, register and then receive the Zoom links? It's uh, $45 for the three days or $20 for just one of the segments if they just are interested in one particular thing. Absolutely. It's going to be a fantastic weekend. And as you said, there's so much to look forward to discussions and panels all about Scottish culture and Scottish contributions to North America. 
We have a website, it's scottishleadershipconference.com, scottishleadershipconference.com. And on that website, we've got the speaker profiles, we've got the program, and we also have the ticket link. And as you said, it's $45 uh, for all three days. The, the days are broken into sessions. So we have the morning session um, on Friday. We also have a morning and afternoon session on the Saturday and on the Sunday, a morning session. And you can pay for one of the sessions or you can pay for access for the whole weekend. And it's going to be great because these sessions will be recorded. So you can actually watch the sessions back after the conference. Uh, we'll be sending the links out to everyone uh, soon, but it's going to be a great weekend. So please do visit scottishleadershipconference.com. It's going to be great. I am really excited by this because I feel it's a chance to bring everybody together. Um, and uh, the people who join us on the um, as a guest um, will have the opportunity to answer uh, to ask questions by the chat room. And um, we want it to be uh, the community lending their voice. Um, and that's a real celebration of our love of Scotland. And uh, then the weekend before, over St Andrew's Day, in honour of that, on the Sunday, um, our concert for the Sounds from Scotland will celebrate our very first compilation album that's going to be coming out. And um, Jamie, I'm so gl glad that we've been able to pull this together. It's going to be the first in a series that we want to br we're bringing out. Um, and which artists have we got joining us for that concert? Oh, it's going to be fantastic. So joining us for that St Andrew's celebration, uh, we have Alan Frew, a wonderful singer-songwriter from Ayrshire who has performed with the likes of Jack Bruce, Ron Sexsmith, Barbara Dixon, Doogie McLean. Um, we also have Lisa Kowalski, Paisley's young starlet, the award-winning Lisa Kowalski, who was so heavily involved in Paisley 2021. We have Really Jiggered from Gurick, who are the wonderful three-piece who really did bring out the whole town uh, for a recent Sounds from Scotland concert. We have Colin Hunter from Co-Winning in Scotland, who has performed with Malcolm Middleton and King Creosote. And we also have John Rush, who is one amazing, talented musician from Paisley also, who has just been nominated for Album of the Year in Scotland. And tickets are £10 for access to the concert. We'll send out the link. Or you can pay $25 to reserve your copy of the Sounds from Scotland album. And we're so excited about this, so excited. So it's going to be a busy few weeks. And um, mark your calendars. The 30th of November from our Sounds from Scotland St Andrew's Day concert um, with our compilation CD coming out that weekend. And then the Scottish North American Community Conference, December the 4th to 6th, um, with all those details around. And then it will we will have had Thanksgiving and it will be the holidays and so much going on. And so I hope that everybody stays strong and healthy. And uh, we look forward to having you join us again uh, for our next podcast in two weeks' time. And back to you, Jamie, and thank you for all you do. Thank you so much, Camilla. It's a pleasure to talk with you again this afternoon. And there is so much to look forward to, so much. But it's such a pleasure to talk with you. Thank you. Thank you. 
And thanks to you, our listeners, for joining us on this episode of the Scots and Us podcast from the American Scottish Foundation, as we focused on Shetland Island wool and textiles and spotlighted the Shetland Wool Week. Thank you so much to our guests Jeanette Budge and Oliver Henry for joining us. If you'd like to get in touch with us, you can email us at americanscottishfoundation at gmail.com. We also have our website at americanscottishfoundation.org. We're also active across social media on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. Please do get in touch with us. We'd love to tell you all about what we're doing at the American Scottish Foundation. I'm going to leave you now with some more music from Filska. This is Bethany's Waltz. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye.